Hello, everyone. It is me, Erica. And Rachel. And you are listening to Story Crime Podcast. Woo! Rachel, happy Easter. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Easter to you as well. Uh, we realize Easter will have been a week of last week by the time this comes out, but we are recording together on Easter Sunday in not Rachel's house nor my house, but Rachel's mother's house. <laughs> yes. Welcome to my mom's house. <laughs> and it is very nice. So yay. Yeah. It's been a great week. It has. It's been nice to be out of the city for a while. Exactly. So that's been cool. But other than that, I got nothing. (laughs) I got nothing either, really. So my birthday's next week. I don't know. (laughs) And actually, I do have something planned for your birthday for the podcast. And it's not like a traditional episode. So um, I think uh, you'll like it. But uh, that's a surprise. So I'm not going to say anything more. Oh, damn you. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, no, I did want to tell you, though, that I've been, uh, things have been, like, the kids have been wilding out at work because uh, the weather's been changing, yes. and so I think I kind of shared with you today that I've been listening to, like, I was listening to um, Tupac in the car, but <laughs> I what got me there was that I've been listening to, like, an outrageous amount of aggressive hip-hop, oh. and I just need to ask you how I've never listened to D12 before. Really? I don't know how. Not even Purple Pills? I knew that they existed because of Eminem. Yeah. I've never actually listened to it. And I am, like, obsessed with D12 now. And they are the perfect kind of aggressive, angry rap music. (laughs) Yeah. I really needed on my lunch breaks this week. So, Well, I'm glad you've tapped into something new. Yeah, it's uh, a thing. And I also found this new song. Well, it's probably not new. (laughs) <laughs> what is um what is bad meets evil? Have you ever heard of this? Bad meets evil. Is that a collab of If Eminem artists? and somebody else. Yeah, I've heard of it. Um I can't off the top of my head remember it, but Okay. They have this song called A Kiss and I am obsessed with this really? song. I don't know anything. I can't tell what they're saying. There's some parts of it though where it's like hilarious. And then the other one was that Tupac song where mm. I was like, How much shade is he gonna throw? At- All of it. Biggie and Puff Daddy. Yeah. Because holy shit, I'm obsessed. Anyways, getting that I'm late to the game. Not a big deal, guys. We'll all get there eventually. The point is, she caught up. I caught up. <laughs> <laughs> but I just couldn't believe because I love Eminem so much that when I was listening to detail, because Spotify does this thing. I think I told you this earlier. They do this thing where if you put your playlist on random, it's called like smart shuffle oh. or whatever. And so it'll play like ran- randomly shuffle your playlist. Yeah. But then every once in a while, just be like, oh, we think you might like this one. So oh. here's a song for you for free. And uh, cool. D- it was D12 that's been coming up a lot because I've been listening to a lot <laughs> of Eminem. Perfect. And uh, yeah, no, I don't even know Purple Pills. What? I, yes, you I have. Pro- maybe I do. And I just Green don't- and yellow, purple pills. Yes, you no, have. I don't know that one. Well, the like the... The radio version is Purple Hills. Been on a giant once or twice, but who's counting? Maybe I would know it. Yes. Oh my god. I'll listen to it. I'll listen to it. Yeah, I was gonna say I'll listen. Throw it on in my car. Um, But no, there's one 
Pimp like me. Oh my god, I love that one. <laughs> Pimp like me. That yeah. one? It's no, it's D12. Well, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but like, but there's a thing where they talk about the Olsen twins and they have the video is like two men, I think, dressed up as the Olsen twins. Oh. I, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'm glad. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the world of hip hop. We've been waiting for you. <laughs> But it's, it calms me on my lunch. Like, when I can just, like, <laughs> yell out. Um, like, I think we talked about this before, that usually, like, when I when, when I was younger and I used to get really, like, pissed off or stressed out, I'd listen to the Marshall Mathers LP. It was, like, my yeah. for sure go-to. Yeah. Mathers. <laughs> Sorry. Mathers. I can't. It's because I know somebody whose last name is Mathers, so it comes out Mathers. <laughs> it's just one of those things That's that it. you say wrong. It's, it's like okay. A, Add it to the list. It's like all the things I say wrong. <laughs> Yes, people, I know that I called David Raymer by the wrong last name several times last week, or last episode. Um, I knew what the last name was, but when I get a word in my head in a certain way, it is nearly impossible for me to not pronounce that word that way, which we all know. Yes. From the buried. Now when I try to say buried, I think it's wrong and it should be buried. Yeah, well, they were buried in Detroit by Marshall Mathers. <laughs> Yes, they were. All right, let's stop making fun of Erica, who does all this hard work every week to bring you an episode. <laughs> Which we appreciate and love, so thank you. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a case, another one that I have never heard of, but it is wild. Um, mm. Even in the name, um, uh, the man that we're talking about today calls himself Wild Bill Cody. Wild Bill Cody. Um, his name is actually William Lee Neal. Um, okay. he goes by Cody and, uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. To keep things simple, because he goes by Cody so much near the end of this, it's going to be a two-parter. I'm just going to call him Cody the whole way through. The whole way? Okay. To keep it straight. That way we know who we're talking about. I'm not switching names in the middle of okay. things. But we got a two-parter again. But, I love it. Yeah. He is a real piece of work. Um, a real strange, strange guy. <laughs> Um, and we're not really going to get, well, we'll get to some of the strange, some, some, he's a real bad guy too, just so everyone knows. Mm -mm. And we'll get to a lot of the bad, some of the strange, but next week it, yeah, like he just goes, I, I can't, I will explain it. Not right now. You guys will have to wait for the whole thing to really get the feel. <laughs> but I was surprised I'd never heard of this guy. Um, and I read a really good book about him called by an, a journalist called Steve Jackson. And he actually um, also wrote a long article before the book. Uh, the book is called Love Me to Death. Mm. And it's it's a really great read. There's also a couple of podcasts. I think if you guys have ever heard of This Is Monsters, it's a YouTube channel and a podcast. He does some good coverage on this um, and a couple other ones, but not too many. I was surprised that like me, no one else has really heard about this or is talking about this case. So mm. yeah, with that, we should get right into it. We're going to start right with talking about Bill Cody, Bill Cody or Cody. Um, now, according to him, he lived an extraordinary life, a life even those closest to him never truly knew about, because um, I probably didn't exist entirely in re real life. But I'm just saying, we'll get there. Now, <laughs> the suspense, Erica. Yeah. He was born on October 7th, 1955 in Fort Belvoir, Virginia, into what he describes as an all-American family. His father was a chief warrant officer in the Air Force. 
And he was a no-nonsense kind of guy with his kids. Um, He wasn't abusive, but Cody and his siblings listened to his father when he said to do something. Like, it was, you do this, and they did not question that. Mm -hmm. They went ahead. They did it. Uh, His father, like I said, wasn't abusive, but he commanded respect from the kids, which is, I think, a good way to parent. Sure. Especially in that time, in the 50s, 60s, that was how you did it. That's just, yeah, what you had to do. respected authority. Exactly. Exactly. Now, he taught them the difference between right and wrong. And guys, just so you know, a lot of these things I'm telling you about, they all come from uh, Cody Neal himself uh, in interviews that he later does with police after he's arrested. So, um, and I'm going to clarify that further in a few parts that we're going to talk about about his childhood later. Okay. Um, Because he may not be quite the reliable narrator of his own life, but you'll see what I mean. (laughs) So, yeah. So, his father taught them the difference between right and wrong and led his family and preached uh, character traits like honesty and accountability. Uh, And when 10-year-old Cody and his friends were caught shoplifting, the shopkeeper threatened to call his father, and Cody remembers thinking, please, Anything but that. Like, <laughs> the love don't God. call my dad. Now, he didn't want his father to be disappointed in his actions. The shopkeeper would let the boys go with just a warning. However, Cody states that uh, if, if maybe they did call his father, perhaps it would have changed the entire trajectory of his life. No way. Right? Like, maybe if I had have had, like, a good whooping that day. Right. Maybe I wouldn't have turned out the way I did. Shit. That's deep. Now, according to Cody, his mother was an absolute angel, and he was very close with her throughout his entire life, and her with him, like, basically his, he was her favorite, I guess. Mm-hmm. In an article by journalist Steve Jackson that I talked about earlier, Cody is quoted as saying, Mom was awesome. The net definition of love was my mom. She was a beautiful, gorgeous brunette. She looked like a movie star, but she was very much the mother devoted to her family. I love that. He told Steve Jackson that his parents never fought, and a calm but stern word from his mother was, quote, enough to let his father know he had stepped over a line, unquote. I love that. (laughs) Yes. And his father would do, would end up doing whatever he could to rectify the situation that had happened. Yes, girl, tell me your secrets. Right? (laughs) Tell me your secrets. (laughs) I can't get robbed to even, you know. Put the dishes away. Exactly. As far back as Cody can remember, his childhood was filled with happy memories from, for the most part, with very little happening that could explain the dark turns his life would take as an adult. Now, he had dreams of becoming an FBI agent someday. His father had taken him to the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., and after hearing about the accomplishments of people like Ed- Edgar J. Hoover and others that had done a lot for, you know, the U.S. Sure. In that field. Mm-hmm. Cody thought that as an agent, he could go on and do a lot of good for his country. He could catch all the crooks, all the bad guys, could make the world a safer place for the ordinary citizen. With that kind of thing. Yeah. If his dreams of becoming an agent didn't work out, his backup plan was to become a minister. Now, for the most part, the ministers that Cody had had experiences with throughout his life lived their lives as kind and gentle souls and, quote, helped those who were hurting, unquote. And I say it like that because that's how he said it. Right. Hurting. He said, quote, I love the word and the Lord Jesus. And I liked, I liked going to Sunday school because people just seem to be nicer on a Sunday, unquote. Um, okay. Sure. Cody said that when he was born, it was during a 
big storm, and his family members would tell him that that was why he there was always a light about him growing up. Mm. However, at around the age of 13, whatever light that was inside of young Cody was extinguished. Oh, shit. Now, according to him, around this time, his father had started drinking a lot more and would often get drunk and purposely embarrass or humiliate Cody in front of his drinking buddies. He would take him down to the bar like poke fun at him oh and at 13 he's so impressionable yeah, and like embarrassed oh, well that's why it said um i'm not really sure the details of what exactly his father was doing or saying but it really seemed to affect cody's self-confidence at this formative age yeah now again according to cody his father would think that it was just hilarious to see his young son squirm with embarrassment but then would end up blocking out and claim to never remember the things he said or did the night before that would upset his son so badly hmm Classic alcoholic. Around this time, Cody also recalled an older woman from the neighborhood who, after learning that her husband was having multiple affairs, seduced 13-year-old Cody no. in an effort to make her husband jealous. <gasps> yeah. What? Yeah. So the two would embark in a sexual relationship <gasps> that left the young man feeling ashamed and confused. Yeah. Cody said in an interview about the relationship, quote, it was a contradiction. I enjoyed the sex, but afterwards I would feel so guilty. I couldn't wash myself enough. And she said, if I ever told anyone, my family would disown me, unquote. Oh my God, that now, is so terrible. I did make a note here that Cody was a child and could not possibly consent or understand why his body was having this positive reaction to a sexual experience. But at the end of the day, this was sexual abuse yes and those positive experience was the natural reflex that his body was having it had nothing to do with sincerely enjoying what was happening oh 100 that must have been so confusing at his at age. 13 because you yes. don't understand why why do i like it like, but not like it i have a boner but this is terrible yeah now the woman would end up calling off the affair as she called uh affair uh, yeah i was gonna say sorry as That's she rape. called it <laughs> yeah. after about six months and then when she divorced her husband, she tried to strike up a relationship with Cody again. Ew, what is wrong with this woman? But he refused. At this point, he was about 17. Oh. Now, after what happened with the older woman, Cody does admit later that he acted out and molested a younger girl in the neighborhood. Oh, no. He also stated later that the sexual abuse didn't stop with just the older woman, with the older woman, but he had also been victimized by a church elder <gasps> and by an army sergeant when he briefly joined the army in his late teens. What the hell? He says about the abuse, quote, I became more distant from my family, not as cheerful. I started getting into trouble more. I knew I couldn't be a minister or an FBI agent, not after what I've done, unquote. Aww. Now, this is where, like I said, I've said before many times, when it comes to people disclosing these this kind of abuse, I err on the side of believing the victim. Yes. Now... That's because most people don't make up stuff like this, right? And I don't know if Cody's making it up. I don't want to say that. Um, We should all listen to the story, these stories, and act with compassion and and all of that stuff and understanding and and all of that. But in Cody Neal's case, his family members have spoken out that a lot of what Cody states about, especially the older women and other incidents of sexual abuse, seem to be either exaggerated or fabricated entirely by him later in life and so i don't know what the truth is and as but as we'll go on to see he is a master manipulator Um, a narcissist a pathological liar there's a lot of things so it's hard to really say and as i stated at the beginning 
all of the information we have comes from Cody himself. So we have to really rely on what he says about these, these individuals that he claims to have done these things to him. So I hope that he's being truthful and he's being sincere and honest in what he's saying, but we just don't know for sure. That's something everybody can decide for themselves once we get to know Cody a little bit more as this goes on. Okay. Now, one major red flag that indicates there might be some real issues going on with a child, obviously, is the occurrence of animal cruelty. Oh, no. That is a child inflicting animal or abuse on an animal. And this is something that Cody definitely did by his own admission. He talked about this quite openly. So just a trigger warning, if you don't want to hear about things, bad things happening to animals, just uh, go ahead for a hot minute and skip and we will, you can join us after. Now... So when Cody was growing up, there were several instances reported by family members of him hurting family pets and pets of friends, relatives, and others. When he reached into a cage of a friend's, like a friend who had a pet hamster, apparently the hamster bit him. Cody said that he didn't like the, quote, meanness of the tiny animal, so he went, boom, like that, and it killed him. What? Now, he stated this while demonstrating with his fist how he punched a hamster. What? How does one punch a hamster? Do you... Like, I just... Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. I try to visualize it many yeah, times. Yeah, like, I, I just visual a cartoon where you punch it and then the hamster boing. goes, boing! Like, like, straight across yeah. the room. Which may be... Okay. Yeah. Anyways, either way, that's really sad. Now, when asked if he ever abused cats or dogs, Cody stated, quote, hell yeah! <laughs> oh. And proceeded to talk about how he pitchforked a cat <gasps> once for biting him oh my god he stated damn right i pitchfork that cat they put down animals for biting someone i mean what's the difference it attacked me i defended myself and killed it simple as that yeah but why oh, is that whoa. cat attacking you what did you do to that cat that to get cat, it to attack you that cat can sense evil mm-hmm. now guys this is a really rough one so even if uh you thought i can handle animal abuse I'm going to listen this one. If you really don't like it, if you feel like maybe you... I'm just giving you a warning. This yeah. one's weird. This okay. one's bad. Okay. Now, one of his girlfriend's cats also used to attack his feet while he was sleeping. Now, if you have a cat, you know that this is not abnormal. Cats do this often mm-hmm. and every night. Sure. And then come and sit on your head. Okay. <laughs> is that just mine? I don't know. Anyways, so he this his girlfriend's cat would do this all the time. And he warned his girlfriend that if the cat kept it up, he was going to kill it. Now, this was a warning she probably didn't take seriously. Yeah, because until, who really says that? Like, who? Yeah. Until she really did take it seriously. Oh, no. Cody would end up beating the cat one night with a pair of nunchucks. <gasps> Where the fuck did he get a pair of nunchucks? Uh, he just had them. Because okay. he said he was like a karate guy. Sure. Uh, yeah, so he killed it with a pair of nunchucks. He beat it with a pair of nunchucks until it died. And the bedroom was absolutely covered in blood everywhere. <gasps> oh, my God. To make matters worse, he made his girlfriend get up and clean the mess he made. He said, okay, get up and clean that up now. Well, he casually went back to sleep as if nothing had happened. What? I don't understand. I would be like, 911, get this evil dick out of my house and make yeah. him clean up this mess too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what? No. Now, but cats and hamsters weren't his only victims of animal cruelty. He once also punched a puppy so hard <gasps> in the head that he fractured the poor doggo's skull, no. killing it instantly. No. He said in an interview with investigators years later about this, quote, the puppy was mean. 
I punched his brains in, unquote. There's no such thing as a mean puppy. Just like there's no such thing as a mean baby. Yeah. They don't know. Oh, (laughs) no. Puppies are so cute, too. After his arrest in 1998, he would admit to investigators that he continued to kill animals even as an adult, but stated that he thought this was better than killing any more people, right? I mean, he's not wrong, but also not right. No. No. (laughs) Now, in the summer of 1981, Cody met a woman called Karen Wilson while shopping at the Hudson Bay Outfitters where she worked. This was in Virginia. Mm -hmm. He told Karen that he was planning on hiking the Appalachian Trail that day and asked her advice on purchasing some equipment. Karen was an avid outdoors woman and had recently hiked those trails herself. So the two got to talking about her experience and she filled Cody in on what he could probably expect while on his trip. She described Cody as having long blonde hair, piercing blue eyes. She was smitten with the fact that he was fun and bubbly and was interested in the outdoors like herself. And she couldn't quite put her finger on exactly what it was about him, but she knew she wanted to know more. Oh. Now, unfortunately, the Hudson Bay location didn't have the equipment that Cody was looking for. So she sent him to another store on the other side of town. But after he left, she remembered that her lunch was coming up. So she hurried out to the parking lot to offer Cody a ride. But by the time she got outside, he was already gone. So instead of going back into the store, she drove to the other store to see if she could catch him. Like a freaking psycho. (laughs) Imagine you show up and some bitch you've just met at the store is like, oh, hey, I'm here helping you. No, No. he, he wasn't there. So when she got there, so disappointed, she sat in her car for a few minutes she was getting ready to drive away, but then spotted him getting off the bus. Yeah, that does seem she's not a bad guy. Though. <laughs> like, she's bad, like, this is like, yeah. Borderline stage five clinger <laughs> at the very least. Well, it doesn't end up that way. So, okay. as she, uh, yeah, so she told him, she got his attention as he got off the bus and told him that she was going to give him a ride. She was like, hey, I was going to give you a ride from the other store. But so, then. <laughs> so I followed you just to let you know yeah. that I followed you. Well, she even hurt you. Like, stalker one on one. one. So, she failed that so lesson. Even by her admission, she's like, afterwards, I was like, my God, what did I just do? <laughs> yeah. Right. So he smiled and knowing what I know about Bill Cody, Neil, is that he was probably smiling at her because he knew that Karen had practically thrown herself into his trap to become his next victim. Oh, no. Now, before leaving, Karen told Cody, you know, go enjoy your trip. Call me when you get back. Maybe we can get together, go for a hike, maybe go row a boat, something. (laughs) Whatever you do outdoors. And (laughs) Karen thought for sure she would never see this guy again. And he was like her dream guy. And she's like, of course, I meet the guy in my dreams. Now I'm never going to see him again. Yeah. After I stalked him a little bit, (laughs) he's gone forever. But to her surprise, the next day, Cody showed up at her work wearing a suit. He had canceled his trip to the Appalachian Trail and talked her boss into extending her half-hour lunch break to an hour so that he could take her out on a date. Ew. Cody led her out to a brand new Subaru, and the two drove to a cabin of a friend of his where a picnic was already neatly laid out. So she's just thinking, like, holy shit, flood my basement. This man is amazing. Oh, yeah. It gets better. They talked and they enjoyed their time getting to know each other. But another surprise was waiting for Karen. In the bottom of the picnic basket was a necklace. What? Somehow, the the night before, Cody had managed to have a jeweler craft a pendant for her in the shape of the Hudson Bay Outfitters logo, the place that she works. (laughs) To give her as a gift on their date. I am 
Sorry, but I need to just unpack this a little bit. <laughs> okay, so a woman working at a store meets a man and is like, holy shit, you're the man of my dreams. I'm going to chase you across town. Yeah. They meet for a brief hot second being like, I was going to give you a ride, but yeah. you left. So I chased you, followed you, and, and the next and day, next day you have a picnic with a fucking necklace. Pre-made. To me, that would be a red flag. And also, I know my I, my vice principal listens to this, but she can probably agree with me. If somebody showed up with a pendant of our work as a date gift, like, I might be like, pardon me, sir, I do not want this. Like, I work there. <laughs> I could get this shit for free in the staff room. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I don't want to wear a necklace of my work. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> but like... I, Guys, and we're not poking fun at Karen uh, Karen Wilson here at all. I'm poking yeah. fun at Cody entirely. In the entire situation. Yeah. Because that is a fucked up tale. <laughs> yeah. Now, Karen but felt I, otherwise. But also, I'm kind of impressed because she only said, I followed you. And then he's like, like here's a necklace. He's like, like awesome. Does that work? Yeah. <laughs> Put yourself gonna, out there somehow. I'm going to report back on if that works or not. <laughs> Do that. No, Cody had somehow managed. Oh, sorry, I already read that. I'm all confused now. No, this worked for Karen because she was like, she was in love. Oh, like, she was like, boom! Oh. I've known you for less than 24 hours. You are it. <laughs> you gave me a Hudson Bay necklace. Yeah, you're my soulmate. Now, Karen did have a pretty significant problem because she was in a relationship, but. Uh-oh. He was an abusive partner. Oh, okay. So Cody did help her get the confidence to leave that relationship and move back in with her parents. And at first, her parents really liked Cody. They liked that he encouraged Karen to stop drinking and smoking weed as much. And she was uh, smoking weed as much as she was, sorry. And he appeared to be really good to their daughter. He would Hmm. spoil Karen and the entire family with fancy dinners and lavish gifts at the restaurant. At the restaurants, Karen and her family said that he appeared to know everyone at these places, like all these fancy restaurants, all the people who work there, the other guests that were in there. What does he do for a living? Yeah, we'll get there. Oh, God. We'll see. Um, Everyone he came across seemed to adore him. He was nothing but a gentleman everywhere they went, and his charm seemed to draw people in. And just to, like, give you, like, a an image, a, a vision here of what we're thinking of he always wears like a cowboy hat and he's this long blonde hair and he's like dressed like in tight blue jeans. Like Fabio, nice, right out of the magazine. No, the like what I picture is like, picture like if Alan Jackson were a murderer. What the fuck is that? And I know who Alan Jackson is, but if you think I can picture him, you're dead wrong. <laughs> yeah, you gotta picture him as a murderer. Anyways, we're not saying Alan Jackson is a murderer. I'm just saying we can't rule it out. <laughs> We don't know. I don't know. That guy's probably like 150 now. He's been around forever. Is he even still alive? I have I don't no know. idea. What was his sign? Way down yonder in the Chattahoochee. Please don't sue me because I'm going to stop singing now. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what he's saying. Okay. Over the next three years, Karen and Cody would date off and on. But Cody had this really weird habit of just like dropping off the face of the earth. Sometimes for up to three months at a time. Without oh. so much as a phone call to let Karen know, you know. That he wasn't dead. Mm-hmm. Karen knew it was weird and that other people would probably judge her, but she couldn't help herself. As much as it hurt her that he would leave, when he came back, she always ran right back into her into his arms. Mm-hmm. She said, quote, he was just so perfect, unquote. 
From what he told people, he had many admirable qualities. He embodied perfection, according to his own description of himself, of course. He would say that... <laughs> yeah, be, yeah. If you're going to talk about yourself, you, you might may as well, well make yourself perfect. <laughs> he would say that he was a member of the Green Berets and the Alaskan Mountain Rescue Team. He even, like, had pictures of him, like, snowshoeing and shit to, like, try to prove it. Like, it... I don't know. Again, and Photoshop wasn't around then, so no. ma- how did he get these pictures? I, I have a feeling he just has a picture of himself snowshoeing, and he's like, see... I'm an Alaskan Mountain Rescue Team member. (laughs) Anybody can buy a pair of snowshoes, Cody. Anyone. Yeah, get your neighbor to take your picture, I guess. That's probably what happened. (laughs) He said he owned his own security business, which I think he did, actually. And he installed, but he had also installed security alarm systems in the White House. He didn't, guys. He didn't. I'm pretty sure they have people for that. I'm just you like... You the Secret Service of I'm some just, sort. Yeah. Let's look up your phone. Look, look at the yellow pages out. We'll find someone to do the White House security. Wild Bill Cody? Sounds legit. Let's get him in. Now, he was incredibly close with his family. That wasn't a lie. And he was devoted to his mother. Also, understatement. Saying that she was his best friend. Hello, Norman Bates. Hello. And on top of all that, he was a romantic. Sure. I mean, the picnic, yeah, that was pretty hella romantic. Of course, much of what Cody portrayed to others was nothing more than a facade. A and facade. looking back, Karen admits that there were some pretty significant red flags that she willfully, ignore- willfully ignored because she was so enamored with this guy. Yeah. When they first started dating, Cody said that he lived with this female friend of his. Mm-mm. His mom? <laughs> it wasn't his mom. But when he brought Karen to his apartment, she noticed something strange about it. It was a small one bedroom. And in that one bedroom, there was one large king-size bed. Uh-oh. So Karen said, wait a minute, you have a female roommate who's your friend, but you only have one bed and you guys sleep in it together? And he's like, no, no, no. Like, it's platonic. Right. And she's like, what? It's my cat. No, no. it's platonic. <laughs> like, this, me and this girl are not, like, nothing. And Karen chose to believe him because she loved him, right? Wow. Wow. Now, Karen. There was also this other weird thing that he did while they were shopping at the mall, and he did this all the time. So if they were walking through the mall together, everything would be great, but then a pretty girl wearing, like, a nice outfit would walk by, and he would lean over to Karen and go, slut. And Karen uh-huh. would be like, pardon me, sir? And he's like, that girl there, slut. She's a whore. But he like he would almost say it loud enough for the other the women walking by to hear oh. and get made Karen really uncomfortable. And she's like, "Can you like fuck off Stop. with that shit?" Yeah. And uh, he would for a little bit, but then like it's almost like he couldn't help himself after like fifteen minutes or so. He'd just be like, "Or <laughs> right?" Yeah. He couldn't help it, and she was like, "That's weird." So. Now Karen said that Cody was sexually adventurous, which is fine, and he was always curious about her sexual interests, and her sexual fantasies. Mm. He asked her if she'd ever be interested in having sex with two men. And she said, you know, this is, I think about these kind of things. I've thought about them, but that's all they were, were just thoughts for her. Mm -hmm. She would never act on them and was never interested in acting on them. However, on one occasion, Cody took Karen to this resort, and the two were enjoying a quiet evening away when the phone rang. Mm -mm. Cody answered, said a few words, and hung up the phone. Now, he proceeded to tell Karen that he had arranged to have another man join them in the bedroom. You know. What? Because of the fantasy. Okay. So, Karen was in shock, and she was like, what the hell, man? I said I would never want to act on this and, like, call him back and tell him, no, like, I don't want to do this. So, um, she started getting dressed and was like, if you don't call, I'm I'm getting out of here. I'll, like, hitchhike home. I don't care. So, 
The phone rang again and Cody answered it. He told the other guy, it was his friend Jesse. He said, no, we're not interested and hung up the phone. And after the call, he told Karen, quote, you passed the test. If you had said yes, our relationship would have been over, unquote. Um, Thank you for testing me, sir, but I do not need to be tested and goodbye. But she did not do that. Of course not. This actually would not be the last test that Karen would be put through. In 1984, Cody decided that he wanted to move closer to his mother in Houston and convince Karen to go along with him. They rented an apartment in Karen's name because Cody explained to her he, quote, didn't want the woman at the rental office to know they were having relations, unquote. What? Sure. Fair. Ten days after moving to Houston, Karen and Cody got married at the courthouse. And this is when things start to take a very dark turn in their relationship. This is where they, okay. Yeah, that was just weird stuff. Now it gets dark. Now we're taking turns. Yeah. On their wedding night, Cody would test Karen again. He asked Karen to share her deepest, darkest secret. Now, Cody did went first and shared his. He said he had had sexual relations with a man before. Okay. And then she told, Karen told Cody that, you know, she had once had an affair with a married man. This was not an answer that would pass a test for Cody. Uh Uh-oh. And before Karen knew it, he had grabbed her around the neck and pinned her on the floor. That's a bit extreme. Karen was in total shock. This was not the man she knew for the last three years. Like, he did some weird shit, but he was sweet, kind, gentle. Yeah. That's all all she knew him as. And when he finally let her get up, he made her call the wife of the man she had the affair with and tell her everything. She was absolutely mortified, obviously. Come again? Yeah. And it had been, like, years previous, right? So it wasn't even, like, this just happened. All of a sudden, he's the moral police? Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. On their honeymoon... A little while later, Cody decided he wanted to play this game again. He asked Karen about her sexual history. And by now, I hope she learned her, like, why? Well, she didn't want to piss him off by not answering, and she said she was raised to be honest, and she honestly answered his question and found herself in the same position as wedding night. As the wedding night, sorry. Her sexual history was not anything extreme. But it was like, he asked her, the test was her answering, I guess. Like, would she be willing to answer him honestly? And so I don't think there would have been any right answer either way. Right. Um, He again tried to pin her down, but this time she got away from him and she managed to like hide behind a couch that was in the living room of the little cabin they were staying in. And he couldn't find her. She listened as he came out of the bedroom. He looked around and he didn't see her behind the couch. So he just went outside and smoked a cigarette on the porch. And when he came back in, he acted like nothing had happened. Like everything was fine. Like, what are you doing behind that couch? Like, why? What are you scared of? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Wow. This is when Karen learned that as long as she did everything that Cody told her, lived her life as under Cody's rules, she would be safe from his violent outbursts. Oh, no. Now, she would be forbidden from doing pretty much anything except going to work. She was only allowed to leave the apartment if he was with her, and if she ever arrived home late from work, he would accuse her of having an affair. These are things we'll see. You see this. They're very common signs of domestic abuse. You see a lot of people that are involved in these relationships go through these same cycles and these same things as Karen is. Cody was already pretty good at what he did. What we know is that Karen was actually his second wife, and we don't know anything about the first wife, really. No. Eh? She talked to the police after his arrest for his crimes later, 
but publicly she has never come out. So, I mean, she obviously doesn't want to be known. I didn't even look into who she was, but she did say to police that, you know, this is the same pattern that went with her. So that he followed with her as well. So now Cody was working as the apartment complex's maintenance man, but strangely, he always seemed to have loads of cash and Karen knew like this job did not pay very much. Mm -hmm. Karen didn't know where he was getting all this money from, but she would never dare ask him. He told Karen that his job took him out at all hours of the night. Oh, Anytime sure. somebody called, he had to go. 3 a.m., I have a clogged toilet, gotta go. Sometimes the phone would ring in the middle of the night and Cody would rush out and be gone for hours. He would say that the female tenants would call him for a repair, and when he arrived, they would be wearing nothing but a negligee. Oh. And we're actually just trying to get in his pants because, you know, he lives in a porno. You know what? Let me seduce my maintenance man. Yeah. Like, that just sounds like the opening of a porno. 100%. Several pornos. Yeah, every one. Yeah. Cody. No. I hate you. Soon the occasional violent outbursts from Cody became more and more frequent. As time went on, Cody would start slapping Karen for even the slightest misstep, like an oh, no. open hand slap across the face. Yikes. And call it mother's intuition, but around this same time, Karen's mother started to get the feeling that there was something really wrong with her daughter's husband. Wow. She couldn't place her finger on it, and she actually didn't know about the abuse because Karen would never tell anyone. Mm -hmm. But she just had this strong, strong, strong feeling. So um, it was so strong that, in fact, her parents ended up changing their will to ensure that if anything ever happened to them... Cody would never be able to access any of that money. Wow. It would be in a trust for Karen and Karen alone. Because sometimes even if there's a divorce, yeah. those inherent inheritance things can it, it, those financial things you have to make sure you've you've done it correctly yeah. so that and stated very clearly everywhere that this person cannot have that money, which actually he does try to get his hands on later. So wow. after getting married or sorry, a year after getting married. Cody decided that he wanted to change a pace, so the couple packed up their belongings and moved to Tennessee. Karen thought that maybe having a clean slate in a new environment would strengthen their relationship, and she would get the romantic sweet man that she knew when they started dating. Sadly, that wasn't the case, and Mm. just like back in Houston, the abuse started up again. Shortly after moving, Cody left to go back to Texas to help his mother move. She needed to move into, like, an old age home. She was not able to take care for herself anymore. Okay. And what was supposed to be a one-week trip turned into three months. What? And then turned into four months. And Karen would have to take on a second job and then a third job just to pay rent because, of course, Cody was not contributing at all while he was away because why would he? Because he's an asshole. When Karen uh, would ask what the hell was going on and when he was coming home, he would give her a variety of excuses. And even though he was all the way in Texas, somehow he knew everything that Karen was doing. His security cameras. No. He would chastise her for all the things that he found out. He would call every day and be like, why are you drinking beer? Why are you going out with this person? Why are you talking on the phone to this person? The hell? It wasn't security cameras. It turned out that he had neighbors across the hall. He had told them that Karen couldn't be trusted. And somehow he was able to convince these neighbors to keep a diary. A everything that she was doing, write them down and call him in Houston to tell him. And these neighbors got this kind of time on their hands. Well, and I just have to say, if somebody comes to you, your neighbor, and says, uh, can you just keep an eye on my wife? I can't, she can't be trusted. 
I need you to take notes on her. Like, just say no. I'd be like, it's absolutely not, not of your damn business. If my neighbor came and said that, I'd be like, actually, no, because it's none of my business what your wife is up to. And also, I'm not going to stand by my door and my peephole watching. No. Like, I don't understand how they were able, how he was able to convince them. But this is one thing about Wild Bill Cody is that he's so manipulative. So, um, like, just so smooth talking. One of those yeah. people that can just, like talk you out of your shirt right like a ted bundy yeah don't even say that that comes up next week oh shit yeah you're spoiling everything oh damn it (laughs) (laughs) so eight eight months after leaving for texas cody finally came home oh eight months eight months later that's some move that his mom had but he left again after just two weeks and when he left that time, he left behind a seven-page letter, front and back. Front and back! <laughs> detailing everything. We were on a break! <laughs> uh, detailing everything that was wrong with Karen. Everything. Uh, excuse you. me? Seven pages front and back about and- what's wrong with this girl? Uh, nope. No. Get out of here. At the end of the letter, he told Karen that he wanted a divorce. Two <laughs> weeks later, he returned and said, Just kidding, I love you. Let's get back together. But also, let's sell everything that belongs to you and live in the van for a while. Um, tell me she said, no. get the fuck out. I'm actually divorcing you. Not quite yet. Um, he told her that he wanted a fresh start and by living in the van for a little while, they could save up and finally move to Colorado, which they've always wanted to do. And Karen took her vows very seriously. And while some people might be wondering why she continued to stay with him, mm-hmm. this is an abusive relationship, clearly. That's true. It's yeah. very, very hard to leave to an abusive partner. Cycle. They're yeah. highly skilled at what they do. Yeah. They shatter your self-confidence. They leave you feeling like if you leave, you'll be nothing. And so, they probably control all the finances yeah. and all of the – any means of escape. Well, and just like the, the sheer thing that they're able to manipulate you into believing that – if you leave, your whole life is going to be shit. Yeah. If you leave, if they leave, you on your own are just a piece of trash. Yeah. So I have compassion for Karen. Absolutely. I, there's so many reasons why she probably didn't leave. Mm-hmm. So she did go along with this bizarre plan and the couple lived in the van in a friend's driveway for a few months. He didn't work at all. He just sat around the van all day. Jesus. Sounds boring as fuck. Yeah. Like, what do you do? She worked like three jobs. Of course. Anyways. That doesn't surprise me. But this seemed to be all a part of Cody's grand plan because remember, he sold all of her shit. She had nothing. And on December 1st, 1985, Cody decided that things actually weren't working out and that Karen had one month to get out of his van. Uh I would have been like, thank you. I hate this van. It won't take me a month, honey. I'm out in five minutes. Yeah. So the divorce was finalized a few months later, but of course, this would not be the last time that Karen would see or hear from Cody Neal. Ugh. Shortly after their divorce, he tracked her down and told her that she needed to leave town. Bitch. Karen was like, part of me, sir. No, I am done. I am not leaving town. You've already me anymore. You've isolated me from my family. You've moved me across the country. Um, I have literally, I had literally no friends the whole time we were together. I've built a life. I'm not leaving. If you have a problem with it, you leave. So. Good. <laughs> yeah. That pissed him off, but you know. She wasn't about to let him control her now that they were divorced. That Good. was not his place. Um, Yeah, so pissed off that Karen wasn't complying with his absurd demand, he stormed out of her apartment and told her, quote, I'm going to fuck over every woman in my path. You all ain't nothing but a bunch of whores. 
unquote. Yikes. In March of 1986, Karen received a phone call from her ex-husband. During the call, he told Karen that he was sorry for what had happened and that he truly did love her. He also admitted, finally, that while he was away in Texas, he was actually living with another woman for those eight months. I was thinking he started a whole new life, like a whole new family. I mean, obviously. Well, Karen wasn't surprised. She, after... Once you get out and you have clarity, I think you see everything. Yeah. Right? Like, wait a minute. Yeah. She wasn't surprised at all. He said, quote, the divorce, the, he said, quote, the divorce wasn't your fault. I put you on a pedestal. And when I found out that you weren't perfect, I didn't know what to do. I just couldn't trust you. Unquote. Which sounds like he's trying to be nice, but also a dick at the same time. The divorce was the most gaslighty shit I think I've ever heard. The divorce wasn't your fault, but actually it was, because you weren't perfect, and I yeah, couldn't trust you. But also, I put you on a pedestal. Bitch, no, you did not. No. You, like, abused me. That's not a yeah. pedestal. Yeah. Now, over the next several years, Karen would receive sporadic calls from her ex. Usually, he was asking her for money, which is why it was good, because he wanted to get her ha- his hands on that trust fund money that her parents mm-hmm. had put aside from their will. Yeah. But um, she refused. Good. She changed her number several times, but somehow he always tracked her down, and somehow he always knew what she was doing. He still had people watching her all the time. What the fuck? All the way down, she bought a new car, and he's like, silver's not your color. I would have gone with red. Like, you creep. Stop. People are not married anymore. But also, how are people complying with this? I don't know. I don't know. Now, she did keep in touch with his family, so that could have been part of it, but mostly just to, she just wanted to know, like, what he was doing, because she wanted to know, like, how was he getting all this information on her, right? Yeah. Um, but this is how she found out that Cody had actually been married again, this time to another Karen. Karen Boxer was her name. Now, the marriage with Karen Boxer, and I'm just going to call her Boxer for the remainder of this part yeah, of it. Yeah, it gets just, confusing. Yeah. This marriage was brief and ended when he conned her out of all of her money. So wow. if you're wondering how Cody had money, we'll see that this is how oh, Cody had money. He's a con. Boxer would later reveal to investigators that Cody was extremely jealous and controlling. She said he separated her from her friends and family by making her move to Colorado with him for work. Uh-oh, what? Yeah. From there, their relationship followed the same pattern as with Karen Wilson. He would physically assault Boxer when she didn't comply with his demands and would manipulate and gaslight her at every turn. When Boxer finally decided to end the marriage, Cody called the police and falsely reported that she was suicidal. Boxer told officers that, yeah, I'm pissed off, but I'm certainly not going to kill myself. (laughs) No. If anybody is going to die, it's going to be Cody. Yeah. Nevertheless, the officers suggested that she go and get some counseling, which she did. Um, And Cody would later embellish this story by telling others that he had sent Karen Boxer to the, quote, loony bin. Yeah, probably in, like, um, figurative terms. Like, you drove her nuts because you're a fucking asshole. asshole. Yeah. Now, after the divorce, or, like, after the separation, I should say, not the divorce, Cody would steal $1,500 from her (gasps) bank account and take over $9,000 in cash cash advances from her credit cards, leaving her with thousands of dollars of debt. And due to the fact that their divorce wasn't finalized when he did this, there was no legal recourse that Karen Boxer could take to recoup what had been stolen from her. Wow. I hope that has changed, at least down the road, like, to this day. I don't know. People can't do that anymore. I don't know. I honestly don't. I don't know the legalities of that. I've never looked into it, so. Wow. 
In September of 1992, 19-year-old Jennifer Tate met who she thought was the man of her dreams. Jennifer worked as a topless dancer at a bar, and she would usually never date a customer, but there was something different about this handsome cowboy who strolled in and on her uh, birthday that year would leave her a $1,000 tip, lay down on the stage, and $1 bills. Um, can, at least give me it in hundreds. That's a, that's a big... Where am I going to put that? Well, I don't have a purse yeah. big enough for a thousand dollars and one yeah. bills. and where did he get this from anyways the man who everyone everyone referred to as wild bill cody was never crude with jennifer like some of the other patrons were and that really charmed her she liked that because she did have a lot of like obviously customers that would be like let's go out for a date and like i'll pay you five hundred dollars for sex or whatever and he never did that so you know she charmed the pants right off of her um, he was always an absolute prince, so when he finally asked her out on a date, she accepted it, mm. accepted the offer. Cody took Jennifer to a Chinese restaurant on their first date. Now, she didn't like Chinese food. Uh-oh. But it didn't bother her because as they got talking, Jennifer loved the way Cody talked to her and even more the way he listened to her. He made her feel like the only woman in the entire world. And she dreamed of a better life away from the lifestyle of working in the strip clubs to make the to make ends meet. She wanted to be married, start a family of her own, and have a good man to take care of her. Cody Neal at the time was much older than 19-year-old Jennifer Tate, but that didn't stop her from hoping that this handsome cowboy would be the man that would save her from her life and give her the future she always dreamed of. Plus, he looked really nice in his tight blue jeans and his cowboy hat. Ew. (laughs) Two days after their first date, Jennifer and Cody moved in together. Two days? I mean, she's 19. She's highly impressionable, so. Now... Yikes. Cody always flashed around money and talked about his glamorous life and extreme wealth. He owned his own security company, which Hmm. gave off the appearance of being, like, it gave off the appearance that he was pretty well off and certainly financially secure and then some. This was how he portrayed himself to everyone. Yeah. But when Jennifer and Cody moved in together, she was really surprised to find out that for all this big talk about all the money he had, he actually lived in a tiny apartment with nothing but two lazy boy chairs in the living room. Um, Chandler? Chandler. (laughs) Joey? (laughs) What? you um she didn't let this bother her though she wanted bill wild bill cody not his money yeah at first cody was a true romantic to jennifer fixing bubble baths buying her nice clothes sexy lingerie taking her out on expensive nights on the town renting limousines fancy dinners all of that and for as much as he talked to and listened as jennifer spoke about her own life she noticed that he would share very little about his past with her he did give her little snippets Um, He didn't talk about his family, but he did say that he was extremely close with his mother. And he did tell her that he had been married three times before, each marriage ending in a bitter divorce because all of his ex-wives were whores, according to him. Oh, yeah, that's it. It wasn't long into the relationship that Jennifer found out that she was pregnant. Mm -mm. Shortly after, Jennifer started to see a different side of her dream man. The smooth-talking, romantic cowboy that she met at the strip club had started to become jealous and controlling. She was rarely allowed to visit with her girlfriends. And as for male friends, like, that was out of the question completely. Oh, for sure. Because Cody told her that all men wanted from her was sex. That's it. That's all you're good for, Jennifer. Yikes. That being said, Jennifer did think that it would be okay that she spent an evening out with a good friend of hers who she knew who was gay. Surely Cody wouldn't mind seeing that she wasn't exactly this guy's type. <laughs> Little did she know, Cody didn't actually like gay people. So it really wasn't the fact that she was out with a man. He wasn't jealous of that, but he actually was just a big 
homophobic bigot yeah and homophobic and he was very racist as well oh good the triple threat yeah so yeah when jennifer returned home that night all of her belongings were packed into garbage bags and cody informed her that he was kicking her out of the apartment and she's still pregnant yeah jennifer begged for forgiveness she was 19 years old and pregnant with nowhere else to go so Cody ended up taking Jennifer to his office, made her sit in a chair, and subjected her to a terrifying interrogation. When she was out, when while she was out that night, um, so she she he did the interrogation, but before she came home, he had actually found all of her diaries <gasps> from high school. No, she had written about all the men she or all the boys, I guess, she slept with in high school. I mean, it was only two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Now, she hadn't even seen these guys since graduating. Mm. She didn't care about them. There was no relationship there. It was just something she did. We were all in high school once. Yeah. We all have diaries like this. Maybe not with lists of guys we had sex with, I hope, <laughs> as kids, but crushes, that kind of yeah. thing. You never know. It's your diary. Yeah. Um, Cody felt like the fact that she had even written about these boys proved that she was nothing more than a slut and a whore. Holy cow. Jennifer started crying. Of course, because it was probably terrifying. Yeah. And Cody screamed, quote, if you're scared now, you don't know how evil I can be. You don't even know the meaning of scared, unquote. Oh, my God. After the interrogation, Cody and Jennifer returned home, but their late relationship was never the same again. And Jennifer would soon start to learn the meaning of scared, just as he threatened. Shit. Cody started to exhibit the classic abuser behaviors, gaslighting, verbal abuse, um, Controlling Jennifer's every move, isolating her from her family and friends, etc. And all the while, Cody was going out and doing whatever he wanted with whoever he wanted all the time. Doing that classic thing where he just leaves and it's Mm -hmm. like, see you in like fucking five weeks. I I don't understand. Jennifer suspected that Cody was cheating on her, but he of course always denied it. And he would never say, like even later on after he's arrested, he would be like, Never. I never cheated. (laughs) BS. Bullshit. Yeah. And then in the same breath say, of course I was cheating. He's dumb. We'll get to it next week. If Jennifer ever confronted Cody about any of his BS, he would kick her out of the house. She would move in with her mother during these times and would sometimes go weeks without hearing from Cody before he would call and tell her, all right, you can come back now. That's cool. I'm I'm done. I'm over it. You can come back. And she would because she was pregnant pregnant and with his kid, right? Um. Yeah, so I think um, she just really felt that she had few options and was still hoping that this fantasy of a perfect married life would come true one day. Yeah. And this baby maybe would change everything. Like, (sighs) when she was five months pregnant, Cody and Jennifer ended up getting married. Jennifer hoped that now that they had tied the knot, things would get better, that Cody would be better. But things only got worse. Jennifer wasn't allowed to go anywhere unless she was with Cody or one of his sisters. His pattern of kicking her out of the home for even the slightest infraction continued. He once even kicked her out when she was nine months pregnant. No. When she did go into labor with their daughter, Cody couldn't be bothered to show up. I think (gasps) she called him and he was like, damn, girl, don't you know I'm working? Like, Uh fuck off. And uh, he acted like the birth of his child was more of an inconvenience to his partying lifestyle than anything else. Jesus. He instead would go to the bar and wasn't seen until the next morning. And then begrudgingly came to the hospital to pick up his wife and newborn child. He dropped them off at home that morning and then took off again to continue the party. <laughs> Imagine. I, no. Uh, I, 
I can't. No, no, never. Not in a million fucking years. I wouldn't even let Rob get away with that if we had just like adopted a cat. I wouldn't like, even let anyone get away. We just picked up groceries. <laughs> like, no, you're going to help you're, me unload these. Like, and you're going to sit down and you're going to eat. The fuck? <laughs> Absolutely not. The worst part about Cody is that no one knew what he was like behind closed doors. Um, and this baby that, not this baby, I shouldn't say it like that. Their baby that they had now was being used as a pawn. Oh, no. Right? So it's something he could hold over Jennifer. She could never say or talk about the abuse or say anything or leave because he would threaten that he would take the baby. Yeah. If she disobeyed him, he would take the baby and leave and she'd never see the baby again. Like, literally the ultimate pawn. Yeah. And he didn't actually care about the baby. And if he did leave with the baby, he probably wouldn't have taken care of it anyway. He probably would have handed it off to someone. Ugh. Anyways. One of his many fucking minions that are apparently watching everybody's moves. Any romance that once existed in their relationship, like, fizzled out entirely. Mm -hmm. Sex was not a consecutive consensual act between two loving partners anymore but something that was done on cody's command and i don't think you're going to be ready for this but he would signal that he wanted sex by saying potty for daddy what what potty for daddy but like i don't know what i I hate that and then she just had to all but like no yeah oh my god this poor woman on one occasion he took jennifer to a swingers hotel Mm mm-hmm she didn't want to do this, but it was just one of those things where she did not have a choice and she did not want to piss him off. So she was extremely uncomfortable the entire time and so was actually really pleased when she said to Cody, like, I just want to go back to the room. And he agreed. Wow. Back in the room, Cody put on his sweetheart sweetheart act, telling his wife that he had a surprise for her. Oh, God. I don't want to know. He had her lay on the bed. He blindfolded her and tied her hands above her head. And then they started having sex. And it was fine. Like, it was just normal sex, and, okay. and it was good. Um, But he got up to open the curtains. Now, at this particular swingers hotel, I guess if you open the curtains, it's a signal to watch. If you open the door, it's a signal to join in. Okay. Okay? So he got up and opened the curtains. And Jennifer didn't like the idea of feathers watching her, but went along with it again not to piss him off. She didn't want him to be angry yeah. for any reason. Yeah. Now, he started having sex with her again and then stopped. And moments later, the sex started again. Jennifer could tell it was this not was him. not Cody. No. So when he got up to open the curtains. He opened the door. He opened the door. <gasps> now. No. Um, she freaked out. Understandably. She started, like, screaming on the bed. was like, get off, off of me. me. Yeah. Get off. Um, the other man was horrified and confused. Yeah, because he's like, wait, am I raping this girl? Yeah. Cody had told him it was okay. He was like, yeah. thumbs up, man. Go for it. Um, and according to Jennifer, the other man was apologized. Like, he yeah, like, could not believe he wasn't that this in there had for happened. rape. He was in there for yeah. sex. <laughs> yeah. Cody took Jennifer home after this encounter, but the next day kicked her out of the apartment, stating that he just needed some time alone to work. What work are you doing, Cody? Yeah. What work? No. You know what the work is? Having affairs and robbing other women. But also... I hate to spoil it for everyone, but this is what's happening. Okay. <laughs> He he doesn't really admit it, but I'm telling you, this is what I'm assuming. Yeah. Even with the research I've done. Oh, I hate him. Another even more disturbing event took place when Cody was left to babysit, as he called it, the couple's child. Oh, my God. You don't babysit your own child. Well, Jennifer, she was out shopping with one of his sisters, the only people she was ever allowed to go out with. Yeah. When Jennifer returned home that evening, everything was normal. Cody said that the day had gone smoothly. And that he had already fed and given their daughter a bath before putting her to bed. 
However, the next day, when Jennifer tried to bathe the baby, the baby screamed, kicked, cried, fought <gasps> trying no. while well, she was trying to get her into the bathtub. She did not want to go in. And this was a red flag because the baby loved baths. Oh, my God. Please do so not. So Jennifer brought up the incident to one of Cody's sisters. And his sister warned her that Cody was once a suspect in a case where a little girl was abducted, raped, and murdered in New York. <gasps> there was not a whole lot of evidence to hold him accountable for that. So he was dropped off the subs, uh, the suspect list. But as we know, he definitely molested another girl in his neighborhood when he was in his mid-teens. And she was like seven or eight. Yeah. So... We know that already from his own admission. Yeah. He, he told, like, he admitted that. Who knows? We don't know. Jennifer stated in interviews, she doesn't know if it happened. However, um, there is one point where a man comes to the house dressed like Cody and the baby lost her mind. <gasps> and was terrified. And she was like, um, I think something's happened here. Well, it's a baby. There's, yeah. They, yeah. They don't know. They don't know what they, Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Like we said before, a baby. This is what a baby does. You make a funny face. They laugh at you because that funny face you just made was literally the most funny thing they've ever seen because they've experienced nothing. Yeah. So if they're terrified of a man dressed like daddy, that's because daddy has done something. Yeah. Why would they be? Yeah. I'm not saying that he sexually abused his daughter. I'm saying something's happened. Oh, my God. I hate that. Just saying. By Thanksgiving of 1994, Jennifer had finally had it with her husband. He had been gone for three days without so much as a phone call, leaving his wife and child with no food or diapers. Because she's not allowed to go and do anything unless his sisters are there. And he's gone for three days and nobody, like, fuck you, Cody. When he finally did call, Jennifer could hear another woman in the background and Uh she yelled into the phone, quote, don't forget to use a condom, unquote. As she was hanging up the phone, she heard Cody yelling on the other end, uh, saying that he was going to come home and she knew that she was in big trouble. So what she did which was smart, she called the police who arrived before Cody got there. This allowed her to safely pack some belongings for herself and the baby. Then Cody said to the cops, well, she can't take the car. I'm not letting her leave. She can't leave because I'm not giving her the car. So the police called her a cab. Yeah. And sent her, gave her money and sent her to where she needed to well, go. Well, that's not going to stop her. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, you've really outsmarted us. I guess she's yeah. staying. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Jennifer was pretty adamant that their relationship was over, but when Cody called and begged her to come back briefly so that his mother could meet his wife and baby for the first time, she relented. Oh, no. Now, he set this up as saying, like, you know, my mom doesn't know that we're we're separated, so can you just come, just play nice, and my mom's old, she's sick, like, let's just make her happy. Oh, no. His mother does end up dying. I didn't really write about this, but she dies later, and he's a real dick about it. Tell me he doesn't kidnap her now, like, hold her hostage. No, no, no. Okay, good. Um, She really didn't want to reconcile with Cody, but she did want her daughter to meet her grandmother. Sure. And she loved Cody's mother after that meeting. Like, his mother really was an angel, and according to anyone who knew her, uh, or lack of any other, like, information available, it just seemed that she was very, a very nice woman, a real classy lady. Well, and if... You know, he worshipped her as well, so he's not going to do anything bad to the baby and Jennifer in front of her. In front of her. Absolutely not. So that's safe. She was basically everything that Cody wasn't. She was caring, compassionate, kind, loved her grandbaby, loved her daughter-in-law. Yeah. And like I said, Jennifer loved her. Right. Um, Well, she was finally shown empathy and caring and like, yeah, yeah, how if you've shown kindness, of course you're going to love her. Now. Jennifer did stick to her guns, and the next couple of, like, for the next little while, the couple stayed separated, but in May of 1995, Cody called begging her to come home. 
Throughout their entire separation, though, it was clear that Cody had had Jennifer followed and was spying on her because he, again, knew everything she was doing and everyone she was doing it with. Classic Who are Cody. these spies? So we're going to talk about it a little bit more later, but I will say they're people that he knows from the bars. He um. convinces them that his wives are, he tells them they're sluts. They can't be trusted. I need somebody to watch them. Take like keep tabs on them. People are like, I'm taking I a will. break. Like, I'm taking a break from there because I know she's cheating on me. So you just watch her while I go take. But like the whole time he's cheating on his wife. Yeah, like it's ridiculous. But why are these men going with it? Like as if they have nothing better to do with their own lives. I don't understand. Uh, Some he must be a smooth talking cowboy. I'm telling <laughs> you, Alan Jackson. If Alan Jackson was an asshole, right? I mean, he might be, but. We don't know. We're not saying Alan Jackson is an asshole. We're just saying we have no evidence to prove that he's not. Okay. (laughs) When they were in the process of moving... Oh, sorry. Uh, That being said, Jennifer did agree to come back, and the family moved into a new apartment together. And while they were in the process of moving, Cody decided that it was a great time to brag about all these letters and photos that he had stashed away um, from other women. Oh, what? So he was like, look at all these pictures, all these naked pictures of women. Look at all these sexy letters they're writing me. Oh, but don't worry, honey. I've never cheated on you. Yeah, no, not once. Shortly um, after moving back in with Cody, a blonde woman came to the door looking for him. Jennifer answered the door and the woman said to get her husband and have him meet her in the parking lot. Cody was nervous. Oh, Cody was scared. Shit and bricks. Shit and bricks. Who's this blonde? Don't say that word. Sorry, shit and rocks. What? Christmas vacation. Come oh. on, Rachel. <laughs> Shit and bricks. Don't say that word. Sorry. Shit rocks. <laughs> uh, Jennifer had answered the door. Sorry. Cody appeared nervous and Jennifer knew that this woman wasn't just a colleague or a friend as Cody was trying to make it out to be. Because mm-hmm. you don't get nervous that your colleague at a job that nobody knows. Like, why are you working, Cody? Yeah. Um, when your colleague comes over, you're not like, oh, fuck. You don't oh, start, shit. you don't start sweating bullets. Yeah. No. Uh, so yeah, so Jennifer, like, had basically had enough. This was the very last straw for her. And that night, she left with her daughter and a diaper bag. And that was it. Wow. And their marriage would be finally over. Wow, good. She started building a better life for herself and her daughter. And by the end of March of 1996, the divorce was finalized. Good. Now, she would see him kind of sparingly throughout the next couple of years when he decided he might want to act as their daughter. Um, She once tracked him down at, like, a bar that he regularly attended, and he was drunk and grabbed their daughter and started just, like, showing her off like he was father of the year. And, like, the impression he was giving was that he was so happy to see them and and all of that. And she thought, well, you know, maybe things don't work out with us as a couple, but maybe he could be a good dad to our daughter. Like, maybe... You know, this is okay. It was shortly after this day that she received a letter from Cody that said, quote, stay the fuck out of my life, unquote. He said he didn't want anyone to know about her or his past life. And with that, Jennifer never heard or seen while heard from or seen while Bill Cody again. Maybe for the better. Yeah. Count your blessings, Jennifer. That was a a blessing in disguise. Now, little did she know that in just over a year, she would learn that divorcing Wild Bill Cody was probably a decision that saved her life. Good. However, three other women would not be as lucky. (gasps) And the abuse he inflicted on Jennifer and his previous wives was just a tiny taste of the cruelty and horror that he was capable of. Oh, no. 
So in July of 1996, Rebecca Holberton was attending a party at a friend's house. This friend told her that she had just had to meet this handsome cowboy who was attending the party. No, you do not have to just meet him. No, nobody has to meet him. Rebecca had been recently divorced and she wasn't really looking for a relationship at the time. She had just purchased her own townhouse on West Chenango Drive in Jefferson County, just north of Denver. She was enjoying her independence and the single life when she first laid eyes on who other but Cody Neal. Now, he was 40 years old, and he wasn't the sexy cowboy he used to be, Mm-mm. but there he still had that charm in him that oh. all of his ex-wives talked about when they first met him. And this really drew Rebecca to him. She recalled that he was cute, but also that he was a great listener and was a sensitive man. He talked about his daughter and his, quote, evil, unfaithful stripper ex-wife, unquote, who refused to let him spend any time with his daughter. Oh, yeah. He would get so emotional about this that he would be brought to tears. Wow. What a fuck. What What an actor. Like, that's what I said. He's very manipulative, narcissistic, pathological liar. I don't like it. No. He was also very mysterious. Mm. He told Rebecca that he painted houses, but this was not his real job. He had money tied up in a trust fund in the Las Vegas court system. Is that right? Yeah. He said when he got the money, he would be rich beyond all imagination. Okay. He would insinuate that he had these mob connections, and that's where this money came from in the trust. The mob had set this up for, for him. But the story changed occasionally. Just so you know. <laughs> so he has mob connections in a Vegas trust while he did security at the White House. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. <laughs> he made sure to warn Rebecca that she could never tell anyone about the, quote, family as he referred to the mob as, or else. <laughs> or else what, Cody? Tony Soprano is going to come after you. <laughs> That's what else. I work in the mob, you know, with those guys from Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> What do they call it? The Marv, wet bandit? The wet bandits. I'm part of the wet bandits. Marv We're, is coming after you. Yeah. Um, all of this, the mystery just added to the draw that Cody had and made Rebecca want to, like, she just wanted him more. Oh, yeah. Ooh, what a bad boy. Yeah. Mysterious. After just a few weeks, Cody moved into the townhouse with her. No, stop it. Rebecca, yeah. make better choices. Cody wasn't telling his stories about the family just to Rebecca, though, because he often would tell other regulars at the bars he frequented about his mob connections, as well as lead people to believe that he was a bounty hunter and a hitman. Oh, shit. He's got it all. He's got it all. To keep the illusion alive, he would dress entirely in black, from his 10-gallon hat to his snakeskin boots. (laughs) His stories were an easy sell to those who knew him. I just picture him entering a room, and it's his boot. And then the spur, like, ping, and then, like, country that, and then a snake. (laughs) He walks in and goes, there's a snake in my boot. And then he has, blows his hat, tips it up. Oh, my God. It's a whole movie. This is in the late 90s. So he just says, like, catchphrases that Woody says in Toy Toy Story. (laughs) Somebody's poison the water hole. And off to school. <laughs> I'm Sheriff Woody. Will you be my friend? <laughs> I'm trying to think of all the things when you pulled his string on the doll. When he yeah. said, "There's a snake in my boot." Anyways, <laughs> to infinity and beyond. That's <laughs> like, Oh shit! Got it wrong this oh, time. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a spaceman. I'm a cowboy. <laughs> or wait, 
Am I a spaceman? Yeah, I'm definitely. Am I a spaceman or cowboy spaceman? What's that song? (laughs) Space cowboy. Um, He's like the, you know who Cody is? He's like the 90s cowboy virgin, virgin, virgin (laughs) of, what's that guy's, George Santos? George Santos. The guy, no, the guy, the politician guy, isn't that his name? George Santos, the one who was like, I didn't say I was Jewish. I said I was (laughs) Jew-ish. Like, yeah. He said he just made all these things up. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that's who Cody is. He's that Santos guy. I think that's his name. I, yeah. I'm sorry if it's not George Santos. I'm not trying to offend any George Santoses out there. But I think that's his name. <laughs> <laughs> that's who Cody is. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. So his stories were an easy sell to those who knew him, especially when he started throwing cash around. Buying everyone rounds at the bar and spending lavishly on hotel rooms, limousines, and wild parties. Unfortunately, all the stories that Cody told were lies. Yep. I have not been shy about <laughs> stating that fact. <laughs> and the money he was throwing around was usually conned out of women, out of the different women he was seeing. And this is exactly what happened with Rebecca Holburton. Oh, no. Rebecca had worked for the U.S. telephone company for several years. She was well-liked at her job and was considered an exemplary employee. Um, she had actually transferred from Portland to Denver in 1995 to get a fresh start in her life after a divorce. Mm. She'd saved up a lot of money because she had to. She's a single woman trying yeah. to make it on her own. Um, and she'd only lived in Denver for a really short time when she met and moved in with Cody Neal. As soon as he moved in, for some reason, he insisted on covering all the windows with brown butcher paper. Um, and... Like, because... It's giving real meth house life. Yeah, right? And, like, neighbors said that Rebecca and Cody were just people who wanted to keep to themselves. They weren't unfriendly, but they weren't friendly or sociable yeah. either. So, but I think that's mostly because Rebecca hadn't lived there very long. She met Cody. He was like, let's, you know, never speak to anyone and isolate ourselves completely so that you don't have a connection and I can control you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, after two years of living together... Two, two years... years. All of the romance that once existed in the beginning of the relationship had completely faded out, and they were just more like roommates. And Rebecca felt this way, too. That's kind of how they were living. Okay. He would spend days away from the townhouse, and it was pretty obvious that he was seeing other women. Yeah. And not only that, over the course of their relationship, um, Rebecca had lent Cody upwards of 60 grand. What? He told her he needed the money for his custody battle to get his daughter back. Spoiler alert again. There, there was, was no, no custody battle. No. He did not care about getting his daughter back. No. Um, he also said that he needed money to get that trust fund in Vegas. Oh, he needed to take God. that into court and yeah. pay the court fees to get that um, open for him or whatever. And he also claimed that he needed money for various business ventures and that would make them rich. He could pay them all back. My God. He always, always promised to pay her back and with interest, but soon it started to become very clear that Rebecca was never getting her money back. Yeah, no. She started to know this. No. Now, Sorry, babes. She Gone. was set to start a new job on July 6, 1998. She was excited about the positive changes happening in her life and said to a friend, that's it. I'm going to get Cody out of here. He's going to be out of my home, out of my life, out of my mind for good. Good riddance. But she wanted to get her money back. Yes. Okay. So she confronted Cody and told him that if he didn't get her money... She was going to go to the police. Uh-uh. So after this confrontation, Cody surprised her by saying that, don't worry, I already got your money. I have it. It's going to be in my bank account tomorrow. Here, write checks to all your creditors, your bank, everything. You're going to get your money. 
$56,000 plus interest. Um, and he also had other surprises for her, including a trip to Vegas. Of course. That he was going to take her on an all-expense-paid trip to Vegas. Oh, even better. So the next day, Cody got up early to prepare for Rebecca's surprise. Now, the surprise Rebecca thought he got was going to get, the surprise Rebecca thought she was going to get versus the surprise that Cody was planning are two very different things. Oh, shit. Now, he went to a building supply store where he bought lava soap, which apparently is very good for getting stains out of things. No. Oh, yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That laundry soap. Yep. Four large eye bolts, Uh-oh. nylon rope. Oh, no. Duct tape. No. A seven and a seven and a half pound splitting mall. A splitting mall, just in case anyone doesn't know what this I is. I was just about to ask you. Because I had to ask Rob and he explained it to me. Is a half axe, half sledgehammer. So one end is like a hammer. The <gasps> yeah, other end no, is like exactly a, an about. axe or a spike. And the person checking they, him out. Wasn't like, what the hell is it? Wasn't like, sound the alarms. Yeah. When he got back to the townhouse, Rebecca was already out of bed. He asked her if she was ready for her surprise. He said later that she was filled with joy and happiness that morning, thinking she was going to get everything she wanted and get him out of there. Now, he told her to sit in a chair in the living room facing a sliding glass door that went out to the backyard. She sat down, and he placed a heavy briefcase on her lap. She assumed this was filled with thousands of dollars that he owed her. In reality, the suitcase was filled with newspaper. Oh, no. He then went to the kitchen, grabbed a bottle of champagne, popped the cork, and poured them each a glass. They made a toast to their new lives. He put his glass down and grabbed a blanket, and he said, I've got one more present for you, but I want you to put this blanket over your head so that I can surprise you with it. (gasps) She agreed. He went to the garage and got the splitting mall that he had bought earlier that day. He came back to the living room, walked up behind an an unsuspecting Rebecca, raised the mall, and slammed it on her head using the sledgehammer side. Oh, my God. Her hands raised up in the air as if she was trying to protect herself as a natural reflex. Sure. When she did that, he swung the mall a second time. This time she fell to the floor and was surrounded by blood and brain matter, and he noticed that the blanket on her head had split and things were coming through. Oh, my God. When he was done, he placed the bloody mall in the hallway closet before returning to his victim. He wrapped her head in a plastic bag to catch the blood. Oh, my God. He tied her arms and legs with rope and proceeded to wrap the rest of her body tightly in uh, some large garbage bags till she almost looked like a mummy. Yeah. He placed her body against the living room wall and started on cleaning up some of the mess that he made. I don't think that soap is going to cut it there, honey. No. And what makes this even harder, I mean... I'm glad it makes it harder for him, but is that Rebecca was run in the process of renovating sort of. And so there was no carpet. It was all plywood. Uh Oh, now this is when he noticed a large piece of Rebecca's skull on the floor. So he picked it up and placed it on the kitchen counter and left it there. Oh my God. Part one of his master plan was complete because Uh like I said earlier, Cody was not exactly faithful in any of his relationships. No. And two other women were about to pay an ultimate price for putting their trust in a man who thought that he was their dreamy cowboy. Wow. But to hear about that, you'll have to tune in next week (gasps) for the conclusion of this crazy story. And it's also Rachel's birthday. So, you know, when we record, we might be a little worse for wear. (laughs) 
hungover. Yeah, equals hungover. So, yeah. So the story just keeps getting crazier and crazier as we go on. Wow. Well, rest in peace, Rebecca. That is a fucking tragic way to die. Um, Yeah. So you guys have to Uh, tune in for the conclusion of this next week. Plus... I'm really hoping, Rachel, that you are available Thursday night because I have a birthday thing planned. Okay. For the podcast. Like this Thursday? This Thursday. Yeah, I'll to be available. Online. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. So I will have an extra bonus episode that's not Yay. really going to be true crime. It's just going to be birthday. You're welcome, everybody, for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Take care. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do that at Story Crime Pod. And if you want to send me an email, you can do that at storycrimepod at gmail.com. And I don't know. See you next time. See you next time, I guess. <laughs> Sayonara. See you Sayonara. next time. Adios. Drop into our DMs. Leave us some kind of review on Apple or Spotify or Good Pods or yeah. buy me a coffee. Whatever. Yeah. You know what? Send us your, be- your best dad jokes in our DMs. Yes. That's my birthday request from everybody. Send us a dad joke. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Guys, send me your favorite Eminem song. Oh. Slash D12. Yeah. Slash D12. <laughs> we need to expose Erica more. <laughs> if you guys want me to listen to a hip hop song. Tell me what your favorite one is. Send it to me in my DM. I will give it a listen. You know and then tell you my reaction next week. That's actually the best birthday present I've ever heard. That <laughs> you're into hip hop now. <laughs> well, it's because it relaxes me. I've always been kind of into it. Right. Just not as heavily as you. Yeah. All right, guys. That's all for us tonight. Take care. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.